Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. I must say, of all the media I do, this is where I'm the most comfortable. I really am. This is where I'm the most comfortable. Radio. Man, there's so much to get to. I just have to figure out how to do this. You think I can do this? I think I can. We're going to start with Bill Barr. And then I'm going to go to address an issue that I talked about some time ago. A little over a year ago. Almost a year ago to this date that the appointment of Robert Mueller was unconstitutional. Now, Professor Calabrese of Northwestern Law School, former colleague of mine when we served Attorney General Edwin Meese, he wrote a paper on this. I endorsed his position. I expanded on his position. And we're going to circle back on this because I think it's very important. But before we do... Bill Barr said something today that's very, very important. And he was interviewed by Jan Crawford. She actually is a real journalist. She's at CBS, believe it or not. But let's walk through this, you and I. Cut four, go. When you um, see some of the criticism, and you've gotten quite a bit of it, uh, that you're protecting the president, that you're enabling the president, what's your response to that? Well, uh, I th- we live in a hyper-partisan age where people no longer really pay attention to the substance of what's said, but as to who says it and what side they're on and what its political ramifications are. Uh, the Department of Justice is all about the law and the facts and the substance, and I'm going to make the decisions based on the law and the facts, and I realize that's in tension with the political climate we live in because people are more interested in getting their way politically. Uh, so I think it just goes with the territory of being attorney general in a hyperpartisan period of time. All right. Great point. Now cut five. Go. We saw the special counsel yesterday uh, make that statement. He analyzed 11 instances where there were po- possible obstruction uh, and then said that he really couldn't make a decision. Do you agree with that interpretation? Uh, I personally felt he could have reached a decision. In your view, he could have reached a conclusion. Right, he could have reached a conclusion. Uh, the opinion says you cannot indict a, a president while he's in office, but he could have reached a decision as to whether it was criminal activity. But uh, he had his reasons for not doing it, which he explained. And I'm not going to you know, argue about those reasons. Uh, but when he didn't make a decision, the Deputy Attorney General, Rod Rosenstein, and I felt it was necessary for us uh, as the heads of, uh, the, of the department to reach that decision. Well, I mean, he seemed to suggest yesterday that there was another venue for this, and that was Congress. 
Well, I'm not sure what he was suggesting, but, you know, the Department of Justice doesn't use our powers of investigating crimes as an adjunct to Congress. This man is brilliant. He's right on and honestly sounds a little like me. Last night on Hannity, I raised a question. I raised a number of questions for Mueller. One of the questions I said, if he thought that the President of the United States committed a crime, he couldn't indict him. But why didn't he say, we believe the President of the United States committed a crime and here's our probable cause evidence for it. But he didn't do that in the report. Nor did he do it during his stand-up routine yesterday morning. Let me underscore this point. I'll speak slowly so even Chris Cuomo can understand. I said, if Mueller thought that the President of the United States had obstructed justice, why didn't he say he's guilty of obstructing justice, and if we could have indicted him, we would have, and here's the probable cause evidence that we would have used? He could have written that. I mean, he shouldn't have written a report the way he did, but if you're going to write a report the way you do with this massive volume two, why didn't he say that? Because they didn't have probable cause, ladies and gentlemen. It's easy to do what they did and leave a cloud over the president's head for the media and the Democrats. That's exactly what he did. Moreover, you heard Barr just say, the Department of Justice isn't an arm of Congress. It's not the Department of Justice's job to conduct criminal investigations in order to provide information to the House of Representatives for or against impeachment. It's a law enforcement department. And I pointed that out repeatedly. And yet, that's exactly what Mr. Mueller did. Now, can it any longer be argued that this special counsel was more powerful than any United States attorney in the United States? Can it any longer be argued that this special counsel was an inferior employee, thereby avoiding Article 2, the Appointments Clause of the Constitution? Or was he a principal official with significant powers, even beyond those of United States attorneys, who, as a matter of fact, must be nominated and confirmed by the United States Senate, No, that argument doesn't fly anymore. And yet some courts in Washington heard the argument that Mr. Mueller was unconstitutionally appointed and summarily dismissed it. But I don't care what these lawyers dressed up as judges because they happen to hit the lottery and wear black robes, happen to say, I know what the Constitution says and I know what Mr. Mueller did. Is there another United States attorney, another prosecutor on the face of this country who's free to write the kind of report that Mr. Mueller did? No. None. May 26, 2018. Joanna M. Seidel. The Times of Israel. You wouldn't even find this argument in the Washington Post or the New York Times, of course. Professor Stephen Calabrese of Northwestern Pritzker School of Law has published a paper, Opinion on the Constitutionality of Robert Mueller's Appointment. 
in which he argues that the appointment of special prosecutor Robert Mueller to investigate whether the 2016 Trump presidential campaign colluded with Russian agents was unconstitutional under the Appointments Clause of Article 2 of the Constitution of the United States. The clause extends plenary power to the president to make certain appointments, particularly in this case, quote, principal officers, unquote. The clause designates between two types of officers, quote, inferior officers, unquote, who are subject to the direct supervision and who do not require presidential appointment or the advice and consent of the Senate, and, quote, principal officers, unquote, who have broad powers and are appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate. Here's what it says in your Constitution. And the president shall nominate and by with and by and with the advice and consent of the Senate shall appoint ambassadors, other public ministers and councils, judges of the Supreme Court and all other officers of the United States whose appointments are not herein otherwise provided for, which shall be established by law. But the Congress may by law vest the appointment of such inferior offices as they think proper in the president alone, in the courts of law or in the heads of departments, unquote. The Supreme Court determined in Buckley versus Vallejo that only those appointees exercising significant authority pursuant to the laws of the United States are officers of the United States and must be appointed in accordance with the Appointments Clause. Furthermore, it has been established under Morrison v. Olson that an inferior officer can be distinguished from a principal officer and that he may be removed from his post by a higher officer other than the president and that his specific duties, tenure, and jurisdiction are limited in scope. And in Edmund versus United States, am I, am I going too deep on this, Mr. Producer? Inferior officers are officers whose work is directed and supervised at some level by others who were appointed by the presidential nomination with the advice and consent of the Senate. Now, Professor Calabrese argues that although appointed by Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, Mr. Mueller has become a rogue prosecutor with enormous and varied power, who has not received direct supervision from his boss and therefore is not an inferior officer, but in fact is currently the most powerful attorney in America. Since Mueller has not been appointed by the president nor confirmed by the Senate, his powers are unconstitutional. This argument has been supported, adopted, and enhanced upon and conveyed to the general public by constitutional conservative scholar and radio host Mark Levin, who believes that Calabrese's interpretation provides a strong constitutional basis to challenge and rein in the power of special counsel Mueller. Levin concurred that the all-powerful special counsel was never nominated by the president or confirmed by the Senate, and therefore the Mueller probe is unconstitutional. And Levin, in addition to this matter, has produced documents supporting the view that a sitting president cannot be indicted. Among these are two memoranda sent to the Attorney General of the United States from the Office of Legal Counsel, stating that the indictment or criminal prosecution of a sitting president would unconstitutionally undermine the capacity of the executive branch to perform its constitutionally assigned functions. And the multi-page documents confirm that the position of the Department of Justice for decades has been that a sitting president cannot be indicted. Moreover, regarding Mueller, Levin stated that you cannot have a prosecutor who is responsible to nobody digging into the background, charging the president of the United States, debilitating his presidency, making it impossible for him to focus on his constitutional responsibilities, domestic and foreign. 
You cannot have a judge and a jury determining whether an election is going to be reversed. On May 22nd, Levin noted that Mr. Mueller's four assistants at the time, four, had dual appointments as special assistant United States attorneys attached to the U.S. Attorney's Office, acting in effect as U.S. attorneys who are not confined to the scope of the special counsel and who have the ability to go outside those confines and utilize much broader powers, allowing them to investigate beyond the parameters allocated to Mr. Mueller into such areas of wire fraud and bank fraud. The extremely broad scope and authority of Mr. Mueller extends far beyond those of previous special counsel. He's interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people. He's reviewed hundreds of thousands of documents because he's throwing wide nets and looking for stuff, says Levin. He's looking into matters involving numerous countries, not just Russia. He's roving. He's a roving U.S. attorney with enormous power. Mueller sent agents to Israel in connection with the Trump probe to conduct interviews and to investigate at least two individuals who allegedly work with the Russians, Saudis, or even the United Arab Emirates to get Trump elected. And it goes on. The far-reaching power contradicts his job description vis-a-vis the appointments clause. Calabrese and Levin argue that Mueller, appointed by the Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, who had no authority to create such a powerful position, has in fact become a principal officer, not an inferior officer, or as Levin put it, a principal officer with enormous power, and his power just keeps expanding, as does the power of his subordinates, which is his responsibility. Similarly, Professor Calabrese contends that Rosenstein blatantly violated the Appointments Clause when he appointed Mueller and believes that it's not possible that Mueller could be considered an inferior officer who would be limited in scope, jurisdiction, and power when, in fact, he wields such broad control. Calabrese and Levin agree that it is not possible for Mueller to be an inferior officer when, in fact, he's more powerful than the 94, at the time, appointed U.S. attorneys, and therefore, the special prosecutor must be a principal officer. And according to Calabrese, his appointment of Mueller as principal officer and the evidence which he has accumulated are illegal. Now, this was an argument I made with Professor Calabrese an old colleague of mine who worked for uh, Attorney General Meese in the Reagan administration. Now, looking back, ladies and gentlemen, who was right, us or the judges? Has there ever been a more powerful prosecutor, certainly in modern times, who can issue the kind of report he issued, make the kind of statement he made yesterday in order to bring down a president of the United States? Have you ever seen anybody like this? They're saying he's not even as powerful as a U.S. attorney. That's just hogwash. These federal courts blew it again, purposely. The fact of the matter is, if we weren't in a post-constitutional republic in so many respects, Mr. Mueller should have been fired. should never have been appointed. And everything he investigated should be fruit of the poisonous tree. I'll be right back. Mark in. Every human being has a common problem. How do I live well? Our happiness and well-being depends on how we answer that question. Hillsdale College President Larry Arn argues that the best book ever written on this subject is Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics. And a new free online course from Hillsdale College shares Aristotle's teachings 
that will help you lead the most complete, happy life possible. Register for this free course, Introduction to Aristotle's Ethics, How to Lead a Good Life, featuring lessons from the greatest self-help book ever written at levinforhillsdale.com. In just 10 on-demand videos, each only 30 minutes long, you'll learn how to confront the chief obstacles to happiness and make the choices that build good character. Aristotle presents a guide for securing a virtuous life. And if you take this free course from Hillsdale and heed Aristotle's advice, your life will change for the better. You can learn how to lead a good life just as every Hillsdale College student does. It's yours for free at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. See, this whole setup doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? Then you have the legal analysts on TV who uh, most of them should be uh, charged with uh, legal malpractice. They're so stupid. They actually think they know something about it. What are their credentials? State trial judge, uh, former federal prosecutor. What else? Defense counsel. How many have actually been involved in these matters like I have? Three different independent counsel investigations. I mean, it's uh, to listen to these people. You know, before I went on uh, this program and on Hannity's show, waving around these these two memos from the Department of Justice, people on TV were going on and on about the indictment of Donald Trump. That if he's subpoenaed to appear before the grand jury, and if he doesn't appear, well, they can charge him, and on and on. So no, they can't. No, they can't. Well, why can't they? The Constitution doesn't prevent it. No, but the Department of Justice prevents it. Department of Justice says no. Can't have rogue prosecutors. Can you imagine having over 90 U.S. attorneys and thousands and thousands of assistant United States attorneys, each one of them deciding to investigate a president or some percentage of them? U.S. attorneys didn't even exist. They don't show me in the Constitution where they exist. I love the so-called purists, not purists in the least. Well, the Constitution doesn't say you can't indict a sitting president. Well, the Constitution doesn't even say they're U.S. attorneys' offices. Constitution doesn't even say they're district courts or appellate courts. It says they can be created by Congress. And so these decisions are kind of delegated, just like the decision by the Department of Justice on how it will or will not pursue. Matters involving a president of the United States. Why are there so many stupid lawyers, slip and fall lawyers on TV? I'm, I'm quite serious. Is there like a line of these people where they apply, I'm a stupid lawyer, I want to be a legal analyst? Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale College has provided students with sound learning of the kind essential to preserving our civil and religious liberty. Now I want to tell you about Imprimus the free monthly speech digest of Hillsdale College. Imprimus is dedicated to educating citizens and promoting civil and religious liberty by covering important cultural, economic, political, and educational issues. First published in 1972, Imprimus is one of America's most widely read publications in support of liberty, with more subscribers, 3.9 million, than the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. And recent Imprimus publications have addressed issues like free speech, the regulation of big tech, mental illness, and the American medical insurance system. 
And because America's founding principles are so important, Hillsdale offers in Primus absolutely free of charge to anyone who requests it. That's right. You can subscribe to Primus for free. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to visit imprimus.hillsdale.edu for your free subscription. That's Imprimus, I-M-P-R-I-M-I-S dot Hillsdale dot E-D-U. Welcome to Hillsdale. We've got a ton to get to. Fascinating stuff going on out there. And by the way, did you see this in the Washington Compost, Mr. Producer? An assistant professor was hired to attack me. We'll definitely want to break that down. They don't want to engage me. They want to attack me. So I'll deal with it. No problem. I was on Hannity last night. And no, I won't be on there tonight. And um, I don't typically play my appearances on all the various shows. Here and there we do. If I feel like there's something that's important to convey. And I think there is. With all the attacks on the president. All the attacks on Barr. All the loving wet kisses to Mueller. I thought the next three or four or five minutes would be worthwhile. This is from Hannity last night. Here we go. Go. You know, Mark, this is in your wheelhouse. You were the first person to tell me about Justice Department guidelines as it relates to a sitting president. But it wasn't relevant in this case at all, as the Attorney General Barr told us at the time. You know, I watched... uh Mueller today. You know what crossed my mind, Sean? He sounds quite feeble, and I'm quite serious about this. And I'll explain why that matters. So the question is, why did Mueller speak today? Why did Mueller speak today? I'm going to tell you why I think he spoke today, because the Democrats were unhappy with the report. And so they wanted Mueller to push the edge of the envelope on collusion, which today he tried to do. They wanted him to be more emphatic about the issue of obstruction, where he contradicts the attorney general, the deputy attorney general, which he did today. They have the narrative that they want. And that's why now Nadler really doesn't want to call him to testify. They have their they have their narrative. Now, let me ask you a question. Why doesn't Mueller want to testify? The reason's simple. There's a thousand and one questions they ask this man from who he hired, why he hired them, why he ignored Hillary Clinton, the dossier, the real Russians. Here's a man today who said he's not going to pass judgment. I wrote this down on the Russians who were indicted, their guilt or innocence. But he passes judgment on the president of the United States and his guilt and innocence. It is such a huge abomination. I think this whole thing was orchestrated. I think he didn't want to testify. I think Nadler said, give us some of the information we want in terms of propaganda. He gives them the propaganda. It's interesting. He says, I'm not going to answer the press and I'm not going to talk to Congress. Is this the same guy who demanded that the president of the United States sit down for an interview on obstruction? I want to get into a few questions I have, Sean. I want to challenge some of, of Mueller's premises today, which is one of the reasons he doesn't want to be questioned. Did Mueller say he had evidence of a crime that met the probable cause standard but could not indict? He never says that. He doesn't say it today. It's not in his report. He doesn't say he has probable cause, ever. Number two, did he say we had to question the president about obstruction and therefore found others who had actually obstructed and charged them? No. Who are these other people? There aren't any other people because the president didn't obstruct. So no, nobody else was, uh, who was not uh, immune 
was charged with obstruction for trying to cover up this investigation. And then there's this. Why did Mueller leave it to the Attorney General to decide obstruction? Rather than wait a couple of years and see if the president wins re-election, and if he doesn't, then indict him in 2020. Notice he didn't do that. The answer is, there were no crimes, he had no case, there was no probable cause, and yet by Mueller writing volume two, and giving his little spiel today, and he was very feeble, and I'm serious about this. This is not a man who would do well under seven, eight, nine, ten hours of questioning with Republicans honing in on so many issues. So the question is, why did he do this today? Why did he do this today? Listen to the Democrats today. They are thrilled with this man. They were not thrilled with him yesterday. They're thrilled with him today because they think, and they're wrong, that he delivered them new information. The problem with the media is this. I just went through some basic lawyering. Does he mention that he could have, could have charged because he had probable cause? No, he didn't. Who are these other people who obstructed justice that they were interested in with the president? There weren't any. There wasn't any. Why didn't he wait a couple of years? He, what's he in the hurry for now? Nobody bothers him. Uh, he's noble. He's better than everybody else. Rather than toss it to the attorney general. Why didn't he wait a few years? Well, because he didn't have anything. I want to remind Mr. Mueller of something that a first-year law student knows. The Fifth Amendment, it's called due process. The Sixth Amendment, it's called a right to a jury trial. The Fifth, Sixth, and Fourteenth Amendments, presumption of innocence. You burned every one of those amendments, Mr. Mueller, just because you can't indict a sitting president. I heard somebody say, sure, he can indict a sitting president. It's just that the attorney general can reverse course. That's not what the memos say. It says you cannot indict a sitting president. I was explaining this from day one. That's why I never understood this obstruction investigation. I never understood the appointment of a special counsel where you don't have any predicate crime. This whole damn thing has been a setup against this president, and it's still Republicans. You drag this man in front of the House Judiciary Committee if you can. You demand it every time, and you question him. Lindsey Graham, you're chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee. You get him in front of your committee, and you question him, and you ask him the questions. Who's behind this report? Why did he write this report? Has he been communicating with the Democrats on Capitol Hill? Who have they leaked to, if they've leaked to anybody else? You ask for documents. You ask for emails. You give Mueller the Trump treatment. And let's see how that ends. Yes, Mr. Mueller. I'm back live. Why are you hiding now, Mr. Mueller? The nation wants to hear from you. How does this guy get away with this? How does this guy get away with this? And so, as I pointed out last night, and on this radio program, and has been pointed out now by the Attorney General Barr, and has been discussed on TV this evening, there was nothing stopping from Mueller already violating the rules of professional ethics, so he was already in this area. There was nothing stopping him from saying, but for this memo, we would have indicted the President of the United States for obstruction, and here's the probable cause evidence that we had. But he didn't do that because they didn't have any probable cause. He didn't have any probable cause. He didn't meet the threshold. So he throws out 10 or 11 examples of what possibly could have been obstruction, if you stand on your head and look at it cross-eyed and all the rest of it. He did an impeachment report. 
And yet we're told that he's no more powerful than a line prosecutor in a U.S. attorney's office. This whole thing stinks from the bottom up and the top down. This whole damn exercise has been unconstitutional. And then they throw it to the miscreants and malcontents in the House of Representatives, to the mobsters who run these various Democrat committees, and they're going to get to the truth. And this clown, Gerald Nadler, going to the microphone every day, president's a liar, the president's a criminal. He's insane. Insane. But we're going to wait for the facts, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to wait for the facts. Talked about impeaching him the day after he was elected. Actually, as I point out in my book, April 2016. Boy, am I tired of this one legal analyst in particular, Mr. Producer. I'm not allowed to mention his name, but man, oh, man, Ashevitz, this guy. It's embarrassing and it's unfortunate. When we come back, I will begin in another area. Ladies and gentlemen, a piece in the Washington Compost today by an associate professor, or is it an assistant professor? Whatever it is, he's not a full professor. Kevin Lerner, Ph.D. The title is, What Conservative Critics Get Right and Wrong About the Media. It's really aimed at me, by name. And so, I've decided to make this man infamous. I mean famous. I mean infamous. And we will unravel this together. And you'll see the extent to which he avoids the arguments in my book. I really find that these so-called critics that these left-wing media institutions, whether it's the National Pubic Radio or the Washington Compost or whatever they are, that they don't read the book, they won't address the vast majority that's in the book, and instead they want to attack, which proves the point, doesn't it? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Folks, many of our nation's oldest colleges were founded to teach students to seek truth, recognize what's beautiful, and hold up what is good. But sadly, many have lost their way. Locked in the grip of political correctness, they no longer allow free and open discourse and instead peddle their moral and cultural relativism. Thankfully, there's Hillsdale College. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission, to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. And as Hillsdale enters its 175th year, their goal is simple and yet profound, to help students understand what is noblest and best in yourself and the world. Hillsdale College's liberal arts education and vibrant campus community helps students form a foundation for the rest of their lives, a truly life-defining experience. So if you're looking for a college that prizes learning and values intellectual enthusiasm, where everyone shares a strong sense of meaning and purpose, welcome to Hillsdale College. Please visit hillsdale.edu slash admissions to plan a visit and learn more. That's hillsdale.edu slash admissions. We're still chugging along on Unfreedom of the Press and the retail stores all over the country and on Amazon.com. I would encourage you to go to Amazon.com and read almost 700 comments, 97% of which are five stars. And then you'll get some feel for what's in the book. Also, the first chapter of the book is on Amazon.com too. But 
I want to encourage you to try the retail stores, too. If you happen to be going in the Costco or Walmart or Target or BJ's or Sam's, Books a Million is a great bookstore. And, of course, Barnes & Noble, where we'll be signing on Saturday. More on that tomorrow. Your independent bookstores, it's everywhere. And I'm hoping we can continue this juggernaut to get the message out there. I really am. Because apparently it's upsetting people like Kevin Lerner. Now, I'm going to start this, and we'll probably have to go into this at the, at the top of the next hour. But it's worth taking the time because this is the debate. Who these people are and how they conduct themselves. It starts this way. He's an assistant professor of journalism at Marist College. And he's author of Provoking the Press magazine and the crisis of confidence in American journalism. Last week, conservative radio, internet, and television host Mark Levin published Unfreedom of the Press, an anti-media screed that debuted as Amazon's number one bestseller, knocking Howard Stern's memoir from the top spot. Now, does that kind of tell you where this clown's going? It's a screed. Now, go read the five stars on Amazon, And better than that, those of you who've read the book, you view it as a screed. And so Mr. Lerner, an assistant professor, he chooses his words carefully, even though he appears to be semi-literate, does this throughout. He populates this piece with little hits like that. Levin's book attempts to reinforce a common argument, that the American media, which he writes about as if it were a single monolithic entity, is hopelessly liberal in its worldview, inexplicably invested in the success of Democratic Party, and therefore unworthy of the trust of Levin's readers. The media? Single monolithic entity? I didn't say it's a single monolithic entity. I said they have a monopolistic group mentality. And the evidence is all over the place. In the first chapter. Did he read the first chapter? No, it doesn't matter if he read the first chapter. He's an assistant professor, is Kevin Lerner. And if he had wrote a piece supportive of the book, it wouldn't be published in the Washington Compost. Now, would it? Unfreedom of the press joins a centuries-old lineage of attacks on the American press, largely but not exclusively from the political right. Thomas Jefferson, once a vocal supporter of newspapers, wrote to a young man during his presidency, nothing can now be believed which is seen in a newspaper. Truth itself becomes suspicious by being put into the polluted vehicle. Now, this is interesting. I'm more than happy to be in the company of Thomas Jefferson, but he's not a right winger. I'm not a right winger. I'm a constitutional conservative. I dare say I know more about the First Amendment than this assistant professor. But a long lineage of attack. What does that have to do with my book? Why are you throwing me into a group? I don't know what this long lineage of attacks is. My book was written by me, providing my own scholarship, my own arguments. So this long lineage is of no relevance, but he goes on. But a crucial difference exists between the press in Jefferson's era and the press that Levin harangues today. Does this guy sound like he's a serious thinker? So I've written a screed. I'm a right winger and I'm haranguing. By the 20th century, the partisan press of Jefferson's era had given way to a media that claimed to be driven by an ideal of objectivity. This is all already in my book. I explain this more thoroughly than he does. 
The premise has been the primary source of credibility for American journalists for most of a century. Ironically, though, it is this claim to near scientific neutrality that has opened the American press to attacks from the right for more than 50 years. You hear the word or the phrase near scientific neutrality? Where does that phrase come from, Mr. Producer? The progressive movement. You see, Mr. Learner isn't that well read. We should send him a copy of. Why don't you send him a copy? Find him, Mr. Producer. He's at Marist. Send him a copy of Rediscovering Americanism. It might, you know, he may learn something. Scientific neutrality, you see. That's the argument the progressives made during the beginning of the last century as they were advancing their anti-constitutionalist agenda. That's what we right-wingers have figured out. These attacks, in turn, have provoked a profound crisis of confidence in the system of reporting, one that threatens American democracy today. No, sir. You're a joke. You are a pathetic joke. It's your beloved modern mass media that threatens, that threatens the press and threatens American democracy today. I will pick up where I left off. It's very important that we do this. Because you're the Thomas Paines out there pushing on freedom of the press. We are not going to tolerate this kind of propaganda any longer. Any longer. I'm not done. We'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. By the way, you notice how the media keep hawking impeachment, impeachment, impeachment? Even though a majority of Americans don't want impeachment? So why do they keep doing that? That's a rhetorical question. I want to get back to assistant professor at Marist, Kevin Lerner, who tries to impress the poor readers of the Washington Compost with his wisdom. He says, objectivity developed as a... This is an attack on me, by the way. Objectivity developed as a professional ideal in American journalism in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. At the time, there was no one correct model for journalism, but that began to change in 1896 when Adolf Ox, who had just acquired the New York Times, declared paper would give the news impartiality without fear or favor, regardless of party sector interests involved. The irony, huh? Gradually, over the next 50 years, the commercial benefits of not choosing sides became clear. An impartial newspaper could sell subscriptions to Republicans, Democrats alike. That's not what happened. What he doesn't say, you read my book, I get into this in great detail, is that this was pushed by progressives like John Dewey. It was picked up by Walter Lippmann, back then an iconic journalist, at least they said. And basically what they said, and what this professor won't tell you, and I will, and Lippmann spends several paragraphs explaining it, and it's in the book, but I will put it in plain English. You folks are too busy and or too stupid to figure out what the news is. So we, quote-unquote, professional newsmen, who come as close to a scientific approach as possible, 
will manage the news for you. We will decide what news is, we will digest it, we will interpret it, and then we will provide it to you. That's what this professor doesn't say, and yet that's what they said. Nothing to do with the subscriptions of Republicans and Democrats alike. Anyway, this spurred most mainstream outlets, large, general circulation, metropolitan daily newspapers, to embrace the New York Times as a model. Professors in the journalism schools that began popping up in the early 20th century also adopted objectivity as a guide for the new set of professional norms their schools would teach. Now, understand again, those of you who listen to this program, you've learned a lot about progressivism. Those of you who've read Rediscovering Americanism and the Tyranny of Progressivism, this is the language of the hard left, like this professor. Oh, we're just being objective. We're being scientific. We're just providing knowledge. That's all. That's all we're doing. When, in fact, they're trying to rejigger society. By the time that radio, then television news took hold, objectivity had become the standard rallying cry. With news anchors such as Walter Cronkite delivering a 22-minute picture of the world as it was. Really, is that what he was doing? Cronkite was never really the most trusted man in America, as the historian W. Joseph Campbell has pointed out, but the label stuck in a world where objectivity was the gold standard. Cronkite was not objective. He helped undermine the Vietnam War. He helped undermine NASA and the moon mission. He was a big Kennedy supporter. He hated Nixon. But let's play along. At the same time, writes the professor, the, excuse me, assistant professor, The makeup of American newsrooms was changing. Before World War II... Now, that's interesting, because this guy says, I take an approach to the media and I act as if they're one. Right, Mr. Producer? What is he doing here? What are you doing here, Professor? Your illogic is incredible. Before World War II, reporters were far likelier to have come from working-class families, making their way up through the newsroom ranks though the top editors and publishers were generally college graduates. Now, there's a number of people who became TV anchors who were not college graduates, as a matter of fact. But let's go on. After the war, this began to change. By the end of the 60s, young reporters who'd been in college during the social upheavals, here you go, of that decade began to chafe against the strict definitions of objectivity imposed by older editors. This frustration reflected a more general distrust of institutional authority. At the New York Times, David Halberstam challenged the statements of American generals in Vietnam and headed into the jungle to see the war for himself. A few years later, his friend, J. Anthony Lucas, butted heads with editors who would not let him cover the trial of the Chicago 7, activists who had led protests at the 1968 Chicago Democratic Convention as a political show trial insisted that he treated as a criminal trial, just like the government said it was. Okay, so he jumps from the professor does, in some ambiguous way, from Adolf Ox in, in 1896 to Walter Cronkite, really in late 40s, early 50s, to the 1960s. What's missing here? The usual cover-up. We've talked about what, what's missing here. The 1930s and 40s. What happened with the New York Times in the 1930s and 40s that assistant professor uh, 
know-nothing knucklehead ignores. The New York Times, serving as Stalin's propagandist while he was wiping out 10 million Ukrainians. The New York Times, which all but covered up the Holocaust during the Third Reich. Why does the professor skip that? Because he must. The same reason he skips chapter one, just like they did over at the National Pubic Radio, NPR. Why does he skip chapter one? Because the evidence is overwhelming of what's going on in newsrooms. That's why. That's why they won't engage in an honest debate. The 1968 convention itself was a seminal moment that prompted a group of reporters to rethink the norm of objectivity. That's not what it was. 1968 wasn't the turning point. In a 1970 New York Magazine article, the reporter and critic Edwin Diamond, so he's already moved to 1970, wrote that it made many reflective journalists realize that they did have deep personal points of view, something they should acknowledge. Vice President Spiro Agnew was among the first national politicians on the right to exploit the division between the mainstream press's pose of objectivity and the clear viewpoints that were shaping journalists' coverage. What happened to Woodrow Wilson in the Sedition Act of 1918? What happened to that? And his propaganda movement and his censorship movement and his imprisoning of journalists as well as political opponents. Why does he skip over that? What happened to Franklin Roosevelt and his unleashing of the IRS against Moses Annenberg because the Philadelphia Inquirer didn't support the New Deal? And his wife, Eleanor, who sicked the IRS on Gannett. What happened to them? What happened to John Kennedy and his association with the media? What happened to Lyndon Johnson? All skipped. All missed. But Spiro Agnew, you see, is crucially important. Vice President Spiro Agnew was among the first national politicians on the right to exploit the division between the mainstream press's pose of objectivity and the clear viewpoints that were shaping journalist coverage. Part of Agnew's genius was to lump all reporters and news organizations into a vast, undifferentiated media. Didn't he just tell us what was going on in newsrooms, plural? that conspired to produce a twisted account of the news that little resembled the world as conservatives viewed it. This portrayal undermined confidence in the press more generally. No. Unfortunately, Agnew would resign in shame. It wasn't Agnew. It wasn't any politician. It was the modern mass media that undermined confidence in the press. Books such as TV Guide writer Edith Efron's The News Twisters, published in 1971, purported to analyze the leftward lean of the press with a scholarly veneer and offered support for the administration's move to undercut the media's collective credibility. Dozens of books have fallen in their wake. Ladies and gentlemen, may I ask you a question? Have you read any of these books? No. The vast majority of Americans read any of these books? No. So he's talking about this. But that's didn't have any effect at all. 
1971, Lucas joined with colleagues to found more, a, journalistic re- a journalism review that tried to nudge elite news organizations into a new set of practices and values for the press, ones that acknowledged to some extent the inherent subjectivity of news reporting. Moore's goal was to leave journalism less susceptible to criticism like Agnews. Interestingly, the staff of Moore included for a time the young reporter Britt Hume, who has become an ideological Fox News pundit. So Britt Hume is now an ideological Fox News pundit? Now, you may agree or disagree with with Britt Hume's comments. Britt Hume was a tremendous journalist at ABC and at Fox. And he provides very insightful commentary now, not as a news reporter, but as a commentator. But you see, he's dismissed by the professor. The professor is defending the indefensible. This is why they hate my book. And this is why you obviously love my book. The financial success that newspapers and broadcast television experienced in the 1980s papered over many of the arguments about objectivity that characterized the late 60s and 70s. This freed mainstream mainstream news organizations to continue the outward pose of neutrality that NYU journalism professor Jay Rosen calls the view from nowhere, a term borrowed from philosopher Thomas Nagel. Now, if this professor had read my book, listen, those of you that have my book, You will know that I quote Jay Rosen in my book more accurately than this professor does because Jay Rosen is one of the ideologues for the last several decades who's been behind this social activism and journalism movement, which apparently this professor supports, but he's not honest enough to say so. I'm loving every minute of this. I hope it's not boring you. The failure to rethink this posture... In other words, ladies and gentlemen, to abandon objectivity for social activism and progressivism. That's what he's saying. Proved devastating in the Internet era as local newspapers began to fail and reporters became more concentrated in just a few American cities. This new geography of reporting revealed that the American press really does live in a sort of bubble. Interesting. I make that point statistically in the book. Follow some of the best reporters on Twitter today, and it's easy to see how many of them know one another across institutions. And so the cycle of the early 70s is repeating itself. Smart but disingenuous critics like Levin, the successors of Agnew, right-winger, screed, disingenuous, successors of Agnew. This man doesn't even know me. You see, this is how he engages. This is a professor. I'm sure he's tenured. I'm sure he's on the public doll. Pounce on the gap between purported objectivity and an obvious point of view to provoke a crisis of confidence in American journalism. I'm not provoking anything, you clown. If you would look at the statistics, if you read chapter one, I put them there. So even Chris Cuomo can understand them. But apparently you're dumber than Chris Cuomo. That's a new low standard. One from which many of them profit handsomely as conservative media personalities. Well, you know, I could be a tenured professor where taxpayers are subsidizing my entire life, subsidizing my research, subsidizing my writing, subsidizing my pension, subsidizing my medical care. You know, I could be like you, professor, on the public dole your entire life as you pontificate and show the world you're ign- that you're an ignoramus. But I make my own way, Professor. 
And I know that upsets you. People buy the book or they don't buy the book. But in your case, those of us who find you to be so loathsome, we have to pay your salary and your way no matter what. But their critique is often overly simplistic, you see, he writes. The New York Times and the Washington Post are not liberal equivalents of Fox News. Oh, they're not partisan news outlets, nor in the employ of the Democratic Party. Oh, yes, they are. I wonder if you are. This guy is a propagandist, ladies and gentlemen, which is ex- explains why he's in the Washington Post. Let's go on. Yet many of the reporters do share a worldview. Oh. More have university educations. Most live in a large metropolitan area on the East Coast where they ride public transportation with people who aren't like... Didn't he just say, I shouldn't be generalizing, Rich? How many times has he done this? Where there are large minority populations in LGBTQ neighborhoods and restaurants serving Ethiopian food or regional Chinese and which they can probably get delivered to their apartments at midnight when they're still working on a story. Project much, pal? But there's a big country out there. A big country out there that you guys hate and ignore. In short, the best journalists in the United States are in many ways more elite and more cosmopolitan than the American public in general. Isn't he saying exactly what I said about the progressives? This is how they run the government. You're stupid, or at least you're busy. We'll handle things. That in and of itself is not a bad thing. Smart people who are aware of different kinds of life experiences make the best journalists. Sir, you're stealing the arguments, in your own words, of course, moving them around, from Walter Lippmann. Can't you even give him credit for what you're regurgitating? But that does mean that they have a peculiar way of seeing the world. And they would be much less susceptible to attacks from the Mark Levins of the world if they abandon the pose of objectivity that opens them up to attack. So what he's arguing for is stop pretending to be objective. Just reveal who you are. Because we're smarter. Because we're wiser. Because we'll deliver the news. And we happen to be right. This guy is exactly the point of my book on freedom of the press. He's exactly the point. He's a foil. He's an illustration. He's an example. He's an ass. I'll be right back. Five days of the sale of this book. Let me count them. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That's considered the first week of the book's release. The first five days. We have sold hardcover, ebook, audio, over 150,000 copies. We're shocking everybody. You are. You're stunning everybody. It's driving them nuts. We're constantly in the top number one or two on Amazon. It's been there for two weeks. We're number one on the New York Times bestseller list. It is driving them nuts. This is just the beginning. I intend to engage. I intend to help represent you. But you, ladies and gentlemen, you need to participate in this. An infantry of patriots. On freedom of the press. This is what they're worried about. I'm undressing them. 
I know their history better than they know their history. I know their games better than they know their games. I know their, their use of language better than they know their use of language. And I walk you through it step by step by step. Even if you just read the first chapter right now, having heard what Professor Num, uh, Num, uh, Numbrain said, you'll understand more than he did, and you'll understand what a foil he was. I'll be right back. This is the show the New York Times is afraid of. Mark Levin. Call him now at 877-381-3811. Come on, Levinites. I'm having too much fun on my own. you got to jump in on this, too. Read on freedom of the press. Get engaged at your own, you know, in your own communities, at your own business, at, at your workplace. This is really too much fun for one guy to have. You're going to know more about the media than the media know about the media. That's a good thing. You're the Thomas Paines out there. Now's the time to jump in. You can go to Amazon.com, 40% off. Costco, I think it was like 45% off. Barnes & Noble has it. They're all discounted everywhere because we're number one on the New York Times list, and that's what they do. But they don't want you to know what's in this book. So they're going to attack me. When they attack me, I'm going to explain to you who they are and what they're saying. And then we can use this as an educational opportunity. This is the great thing about this. Like the early pamphleteers, that's what we're doing. That's the movement here that we're pushing. This is the reformation that we want. We're not right-wingers attacking the free press. Let them chew on their own cud. That's their view. It's not our view. We're patriotic Americans trying to revive a free press. We believe in freedom of the press. They believe in unfreedom of the press. They believe in uniformity and conformity. While they say, well, you know, all newsrooms aren't alike. Really? They're pretty damn close. I'm having a blast. I want you to get in on this. I'm quite serious. And plus, Father's Day's coming up. Jim Acosta's book's coming out. It's great. It's terrific. We need to battle these people. I want you to do your uh, do this little trick. Google the word impeachment and then hit news. All over the Internet, you'll see on TV, on radio, in newspapers, on websites, on blog sites, The so-called media pushing impeachment, 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 impeachment. They're pushing the Democrats. They're radicalizing their base. This is what they want. You heard what this clown wrote in the Washington Post. They're all social activists now. That's what they are. And why is it that when I call them out for what they are and what many of them say they are, well, you must be like uh, Spiro Agnew. Really? Isn't that amazing? They don't want to engage, but we want to engage them. Let's do it. I'm telling you, this is a positive thing. We need to do this. We are the pamphleteers. We will pass information to each other. We will gather news. You can do it online. You can do it in many ways. We will communicate with each other. We don't have to go through the Washington Post. 
We don't have to go through the New York Times, CNN, MSNBC, and all the rest of them in order to get our information. We do not have to be prisoners to the left. They don't believe in a free press. They don't even believe in news. Also, have you noticed Democrats are now openly discussing socializing our health care system? They talk about Medicare for all and price controls for drugs. But these ideas have failed everywhere. And they've been tried because they're simply bad ideas. Under Medicare for all, Medicare would actually be destroyed, eliminated. And 177 million Americans would lose their private insurance. You believe this? Everyone, including seniors, would be thrown into a one-size-fits-all, government-run, iron-fisted, centralized, bureaucratically-run health care system. At a massive cost of $32 trillion over 10 years. If corporate and individual taxes were doubled, they wouldn't even be close to being enough to pay for this disaster, this monstrosity. The left wants to import the socialist idea of drug price controls. We don't have price controls. Because they don't work. In countries that do have them, the results are always a disaster. Scarcity. Rationing. Denied access to the latest and best drugs. And far fewer dollars invested in research and innovation needed for the next breakthrough treatments. In fact, you're going to have to save a lot of money for airfare. To try and find somewhere on the face of the earth. Where you can actually get quality medical treatment. Innovations and better treatments keep people healthy, saving lives and money. Conservatives had better step up before the left gains any more momentum on their costly and deadly ideas. Get the facts. Go to TrueHealthCareFacts.com. TrueHealthCareFacts.com. That's TrueHealthCareFacts.com. Mr. Producer, do we have an excellent caller of the left or the right? Yes. Alex. On the Levin app in Toronto, Canada. How are you, sir? Very good, Mr. Levin. How are you? Very well. Go right ahead, my friend. I'm a big admirer of yours, a supporter of President Trump, the United States, and Israel. It's an honor to speak to you. Uh, we pray for Trump and all the conservatives. Uh, you know, the president needs all the prayers and support with all the attack he's taking from all sides. Congrats on your book, Making Number One Bestseller on Amazon and New York Times. Thank you, sir. I appreciate your call. Yeah, I ordered uh, two books to Michigan to my cousin. He's a Democrat. Uh, it's a graduation gift for him. <laughs> Good idea. It's a great grad. You know what? Isn't it graduation time, Mr. Producer? Perfect gift. Go right ahead. Uh, hope, hopefully he'll be persuaded. Every time I visit him from uh, Toronto, I try to convince him uh, to uh, change his views. And, yes. You know, hopefully he'll... And I would like to make a quick point. Uh, yes. Just a thought that I've been having. You know, how can you say that Democrats did not receive help in 2016 or 2018 from Russia? It's easier to influence a Senate or Congress election, right? Uh, rather than the presidential election, which is... Well, you country. would think so. And, of course, Hillary Clinton tapped into the Kremlin. Uh, and, of course, they played her on the dossier. But nonetheless, she tapped into the Kremlin, paid for uh, advice uh, or information, she thought, that was used in the dossier. You see no direct connection like that whatsoever with anybody in Trump world. Thank you for your call, Alex. Much appreciated. Let's continue. Josh, 
Miami, Florida, on the Mark Levin app. How are you, sir? Good. How are you? Okay. I, uh, I have to say, I'm calling uh, from Miami, but I live in Israel. I am a combat veteran in the Israeli army. My grandfather, who's a B-24 bomber, veteran, had his 101st birthday yesterday, listens to your show. Wow. My father, my father listens to your show, and I every day, all in Israel, we listen to your show. Wait a minute. Let me get this book. straight. What? You listen to the show in Israel, I guess the podcast, right? Yeah, we listen to it a day late, but every you know every day we tune in. I bought your books for my father. I just bought him on Freedom of the Press, and if he's listening now, Dad, happy birthday. That was your gift. Wow. Uh, and I have to say, Mark, in over the past two and a half years since I've been tuning in, you've been spot on about Israeli politics, about American politics. You portrayed women in the army and the Israeli army. I, I like that segment that you did about a half a year ago. And I must say that I have a joke with my wife. I think my wife bumped into you when you were in Israel when they moved the embassy. Oh, really? I, have a, I think so. And I have a joke with my wife, and I say at our Shabbat table, at our Sabbath table, we have all the pictures of the rabbis by our table to, you know, who inspire light and morality. And I always joke with her that we need to put a picture of you up there because, you know, you're, you're leading that, uh, that role in the world today. Well, Josh, let me, say, let me say how proud I am of what you're saying in your call. I do have a question. I haven't been to Israel much. I'm going back to Israel in, a, in about a month. When I go to Israel, do they listen to my show in Israel? Because when I go to the Western Wall, I have a lot of Israelis coming up to me. They do. They, Maybe they, they watch listen. me on Fox or something. They, so you have Fox there. People have Fox. And also, like me, we download podcasts, and we just listen to you a day late. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are. We're listening. I've, I, in university, I've mentioned you many times and have discussions. And other people, just from having discussions with people, talk about you and are aware of your show. And I also saw a segment recently that my wife shared with me of an Israeli journalist on television actually quoting you and your ideas about progressivism and how that plays out. And uh, I knew right when he opened his mouth and was talking, I said, this is Mark Levin's stuff. I knew it. Uh so yeah, you, you are you are definitely heard here. I would love you're invited to my house. Well, you thank come you. Here if you want, uh, well, Josh, rather than you, and by the way, that's very very kind of you. And I notice that too. Whenever I go to Israel, everybody's inviting me to uh, their house. Yeah, well, that's that's how we do it. <laughs> All right, don't don't hang up. I want to send you a signed copy of uh, Unfreedom of the Press, and I'll tell you what I want you to give to your grandfather or your father. A uh, a one year uh, membership to Blaze TV, so they can watch Levin TV too. And I want to thank you very very much and for your service too. God bless you, young man. Wow, that's fascinating. I've always wondered because when I go to Israel and I go to the Western Wall, people are coming. Mark, Mark, Mark. Now I know why. It's the podcast, and of course Fox. But this is before I had my Fox show, Mister Producer. Let us go to Tony, San Antonio, Texas. Listening on WBAP. Are you kidding me? That 50,000 water gets down there? That's right. <laughs> well, how are you, sir? Yes, Mark. I'm so honored to talk to you over the phone. Uh, I've been listening to you for about a year now. And uh, I tell you what, uh, you've enlightened me so much that uh, I've been, I enrolled in Hillsdale College in the Constitution. And what wow. an enlightenment that is. And uh, I just want to let you know, I told the screener that... Uh, 
I have a lot of family, and I'm a Hispanic man that voted for, for Trump. Yes, sir. And I have a lot of Hispanic family that are totally left from the left, mm-hmm. but slowly, gradually turning as they are seeing what the Democrats are really made of. And uh, it, it's a joy just to see them uh, just getting enlightened and, and, and see them just turn turning their, their, mm-hmm. their ideas and values. But that's thanks to you, see? A gentleman like you in every family, in every community, makes a huge difference. And I certainly appreciate your show. I, I listen to your podcast every morning at work when I'm working. Thank you. When I'm doing my stuff, and, and I, I, I look at your shows on Sunday nights, and uh, it's a joy. And I, I just, uh, and I'm just so frustrated with with these Democrats, the Democrat Party, the the leaders, and it's just so frustrating. My wife gets frustrated when she's listening to the news, and and uh, and, and I just tell her, look, I said, uh, you know, when you do things right. Uh, you, you sow good seed, you're going to reap good seed. You sow bad seed, you're going to reap bad seed. And mm-hmm. Eventually, it's going to turn on them, and uh, it's going to happen. I really I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what. I've got to go. Don't hang up. We're going to give you a copy of Unfreedom of the Press, a signed copy uh, that you can read and then maybe pass it to some of your family members. Don't hang up, Tony. Great callers, because I have a great audience. I'll be right back. Mark in. Twenty twenty will be the most important election in our lifetimes. Big issues are on the ballot. The border, the Second Amendment, infanticide, freedom of the press, freedom of speech, and the most expensive of them all, health care. The liberals are pushing a plan called Medicare for All. They want to take a program seniors paid into all their lives and open it to all comers, even the children of illegal aliens. It should be called Medicare for None, because seniors will be forced to get in line with people who've paid nothing, nothing into the program. It's wrong, it's unfair, and it will destroy the world's greatest engine of healthcare innovation. Where's the AARP on all this? Why aren't they lobbying hard to stop this raiding of your Medicare? We know why. Because the same AARP backed Obamacare. Now that's why I'm urging you all to join AMAC now. A-M-A-C. It's a patriotic pro-American organization. Because unlike the AARP, AMAC will fight hard against Medicare for all. Become a member of AMAC.us and the stakes have never been higher. This is an outstanding organization. They also have great discounts and benefits for its members. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S, A-M-A-C dot U-S, and join today. Let's continue, shall we? I think we shall. Jerry, Ontario, California, on the Mark Living app, go. How you doing, Mark? Great to talk to you. Thank you. I am a high school government teacher out here in what we call occupied territory because there's so many liberals running the state. You're so right. It, yes. Destroying it. But... Uh, I am going to be using your book, which I'm about halfway through in my classes, because it is unbelievably great for kids. And the the thing about kids these days is when you present both sides to them, the conservative side and the liberal side, it is amazing how many of these kids pick the conservative side. Because I don't indoctrinate these kids like they do to these kids when they go to college. I let them pick, and it's 
It's amazing how many switch sides and say, oh, I never knew that. And the great thing that Trump did when he ran, you know, back in 2016 is the way he used Twitter. And like I was telling your screener, if the president used, you know, Twitter like FDR did with the radio and did fireside chats to kind of get, you know, explain some of his thoughts, I think it would work even better with some of the the, the millennials because that's what they use. Maybe maybe Facebook Live or Reddit or something like that. Exactly, because these kids, you ask them, do you, you know, do you watch CNN or MSNBC or Fox? They don't watch the news. They get social media, and that's why you're 100% right when you talk about on the show and in your book that the MSNBC and CNN, they're going to be dead in a couple of years because these, these kids, they're not watching it because of the stuff that they're spewing. But um, I just cannot wait to share this book with these kids when I get back to school. And so you like it. It's it spot on. It's, it's beautiful. I'm halfway through. Love it. I'm going to give it to my wife next, and then my oldest son, who survived indoctrination out at UC Santa Barbara. So I'm going to do like Thomas Paine and pass it on. Well, thank you. Well, let me give you another one signed, and you can pass that one on and keep this one to yourself. Thank you, sir. There's a history teacher, Jerry. I haven't planted these calls, folks. We didn't prioritize these calls. These are people just calling in, uh, raising uh, uh, the point. And it's interesting. You see the complete disconnect between you and... And these people who write at NPR and these people who write at the Washington Post, they have no idea who you are. And they don't care. They just think they're smarter than you. They just dismiss you. They call you names. I happen to be a public figure. I'm behind this microphone. I write these books. I'm behind the TV camera. So they can come after me. I don't care. I'm more than happy to take them on. I'm telling you, it's getting to the point where I'm really having a lot of fun doing this. And I really want all of you to jump in. You heard the energy with that history teacher. And you'll see the energy in the comments on Amazon.com when you read the five-star comments. This is really going to open your eyes, this book. Look, it opened my eyes. I do research. That's what I do. And 90%, maybe 95% of what I do when I'm researching a book, looking at scholarship and so forth, doesn't make it into the book. So this is the cream of the crop. This is the icing. This is the top of the pyramid that is in the book on freedom of the press. Gary, San Francisco, California, the great KSFO. Go. Hello, sir. I just want to comment about Walter Cronkite. I yes, have sir. 37, I have 37 combat medals. I was a specialized unit. Holy mackerel. Yeah, four or five days a week for a whole year. I was flying combat. Lost wow. of PT, lost a gunner. And so Walter Cronkite, as far as I was concerned, was a traitor. Mm. We're out there fighting, and he keeps saying we're losing. And I just lost all esteem for him. You're, you're right. And he, even though we won the Tet Offensive, he made it look like we lost. Exactly. It was actually a great American victory. Exactly. And that's why all of us guys out there flying combat four or five days a week, lost my crew chief, lost a gunner, oh. crashed my helicopter, broke my back. He is a traitor. Well, sir, I want to thank you for your service. You're a real American hero. You really are. Great callers. Got a lot more to cover and a full hour to do it. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, 
everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Elizabeth Warren, she's absolutely nuts. But aren't they all on the left? She calls for a national abortion mandate and slavery reparations. These Democrats are pushing us towards some kind of civil war. They wish to impose their own radical agenda on the entirety of the country. She represents Massachusetts, not Idaho, not Kansas, not Oklahoma. The idea that they get to impose their will on the entirety of the country is really appalling, but they don't care. Unless, of course, it's sanctuary cities. I assume this is the view, which I never watch. I don't understand this show. A bunch of yentas sitting around, screaming at each other, most of them liberals. And it gets all this news attention. This is exactly what's meant by pseudo-events, manufactured news. Who cares what they say? Who cares what Bill Maher says? Who cares what any of them say? Oh, Bill Maher said, who cares? He can put his head in a toilet. Who cares what Bill Maher says? But Sonny Houston, or is it Houston? She says, who gives a damn what Sonny Houston Houston has to say? But she's on The View. So, most of us are working. We're not watching The View during the day, are we, Mr. Producer? All right. Cut 15, go. How will you protect Roe v. Wade? Uh, we need a federal law to take every principle that's in the Supreme Court decision and just make it federal law. Let's give women all across this country that. Oh, I see. So federal law would preempt all these states. Let's just put it in place. Doesn't matter what they think in Mississippi. It doesn't matter what they think in Pennsylvania. It doesn't matter what they think in North Dakota. No, no. Elizabeth, we need a federal law. That puts infanticide in place. You see, ladies and gentlemen, they say they're for the people. They want the popular vote, but not really. They only support the popular vote if they win. Otherwise, they want the iron fist of unelected judges, the iron fist of faceless bureaucrats, and, of course, federal law. But don't worry, she's for women's rights. She's just not for the rights of female babies, that's all. Go ahead. And there are the clapping seals in the audience. Yes, infanticide. Yay! Yay! Bread and circus. There you go. Go ahead. Bridging the wealth gap between white families and black families. Who is this city? Is Hostin, Houston? Bridging the wealth gap between white families and black families? It's called liberty. It's called capitalism. That's what it's called. It's not about white families and black families. It's about individuals. This is all so sick. And then she says, reparations or not. Reparations are going to bridge the gap between white families and black families. Let me ask you a question. Remember the smoking money, the tobacco money? Whatever happened to that money, Mr. Producer? The states used it, and poof, it's all gone. It's all gone. Go ahead. 
Uh, so I support the reparations bill that's in the House to start a commission so we get to look at all of the options. Can I add some more, though, on bridging the racial wealth gap? Yes. Okay, sure, sure. Sentence. Sure, add a lot. We, we got, we've got to add a lot on this. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. I just want to make sure. Okay. So on education, uh, I want to see student loan debt forgiveness for 95% of our folks. Listen to all the clapping. Go ahead. I want to see $50 billion put into the historically black colleges and universities. Help level the playing field. Uh, on housing, I want to see 3 million new housing units built all across the country, but also attack racial redlining head on and try to make. See, these are all these are all hot button populist issues. Intended to get the crowd all worked up. You know how you add racial redlining when all these white liberals move into minority communities? Without walls and fences. Now this clown is a multimillionaire from Massachusetts. Where does she live? Where does she live? Go ahead. We're seeing racial disparities in lots of places, but particularly on maternal health. Okay, what is maternal health? A woman's health? We're seeing racial disparities? Go ahead. Got a plan to make sure that maternal health is treated the same for black mamas and for white mamas. Black mamas and white mamas? She's not too awkward, is she? But she's not done. Cut 16, go. Proposal is a two-cent wealth tax on the top one-tenth of one percent, your 50 millionth and first dollar. Now, as you and I have discussed, this is utterly unconstitutional. But she doesn't care. She's a moron. She's playing to the populist crowd. Go ahead. And two cents for everyone after that. And with that... We can cancel student loan debt for about 95% of the people who have it. Okay, let, let me stop. Why should we cancel student loan debt for students who took out debt? Why is that my responsibility, Mr. Producer? Why is that your responsibility? All of a sudden, you know, one-third of the people in this country go to college. Two-thirds don't. So two-thirds of the people who don't go to college, who earn less than a lot of the people who do go to college, they're now going to subsidize Wipe out student loans? Why don't we wipe out car loans? Why don't we wipe out mortgages? Why don't we wipe out everything? This is really nuts. Nuts, I said. Go ahead. Wow. And now finally- Listen to the applauding. Yay! 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 And we're going to take your homes. Yay! And we're going to take your... Yay! We're going to take your health. Yay! Good Lord. Go ahead. And by the way, this is the show The View. You can see how stupid this show is. Those of us who work during the day and at night and don't watch The View, don't watch The View. The View at The View is pretty crummy. Go ahead. And do so much more. Two cents. We can not only do that, we can also provide... Two cents is two percent. So on top of a federal income tax, a state income tax in most states, property taxes... A massive increase in federal income taxes is what they want. You'll pay an additional 2% on your wealth. On your wealth. 
not newly created wealth, on the wealth that you have. But don't worry, it's only going to affect the very rich who happen to hire you and invest and create jobs and all that. So don't worry. We're going to screw them. We're going to get them good. Well, go guess. We're going to get them good. Why do you think they want to do away with student loans? Anybody know? This is a play for the suburbs. This is a Democrat play for the suburbs. The statistical evidence is that in our inner cities, there's a rather small percentage of people who go through college and have student loans. Obviously, there's some. That's not the point. But in the suburbs, there's a lot. So this is a play for the suburbs. Go ahead. So tuition free, technical school, two year college and four year college for every one of our kids. I don't know how we got along without Elizabeth Warren. I don't know how she's got it all figured out. She's going to control the whole country. You're going to pay this. You're going to pay this. You're going to student loan. You're going to have a home. This we will take care of that. Well, you free this. Don't worry. We got this. This is sick. Does this sound like a free country to you? Go ahead. We can do universal child care for every baby age zero to five. Uh, 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 not every baby. The babies who are killed, whether through abortion or infanticide, they don't get universal anything, do they, Mr. Producer? I don't think so. Go ahead. Every three-year-old and four-year-old. It's hard to keep it. So universal pre-K, universal free technical school, free college, wipe out student loans. This is amazing. Guess you're going to have free health care for all. This person's taken seriously? Well, on The View they are, of course. Go ahead. Country and raise the wages of every child care worker in preschool. Wow, she's going to hire some really smart people to run everything. Wages and minimum wage and, and who, who gets what and everything else. You know what she is? Let me coin a new word. You ready, Mr. Producer? A Stalinette. Do you know what a Stalinette is? It's a female Stalin. May I say that? Am I allowed to say that? Are we allowed to distinguish between genitalia? Between and among? Elizabeth Warren is a Stalinette. That's what she is. Oh, how can you say that? No, she said that. Listen to all this crap. One more cut just for fun. 17, go. You know what they're going to say to all of the wonderful plans you have. I love that. You know what they're going to say to all the wonderful plans you have? What is that, Behar? Go ahead. plans you have. They use the S-word, socialism. Oh, the S-word, socialism. Ladies and gentlemen, this isn't socialism. No. Democratic socialism, you see. And it's good to have Joy Behar, a failed radio host, and a pathetic, boring comedian there. The Einstein of the view, I'm afraid to say, of the left-wing part of the view. Now, you know what they're going to say, don't you? They're going to say the S-word. They're going to say socialist. But, of course, Elizabeth doesn't sound like a socialist, does she? May I call you Liz? Liz Warren, right? Go ahead. 
How do you counteract that type of an assault? You know, 43 million Americans who would see student loan debt canceled under my plan, I think right there, that's where you cancel it. You cancel it by making it real. It's in this country either. It's our values. Do we think that the two... No, these aren't our values. These aren't our values. Canceling loans, having other people subsidize other people, reparations... No, no, those aren't our values, you idiot. Maybe at Harvard, but not in the rest of the country. Go ahead. Should stay with the top one-tenth of one percent. Ah, shut up, you idiot, with the one-tenth of one percent. What, do we live in Marx's world? We're all classified by our, you know, this class over here. It's called America. You want to get rich? Go out and get rich. I'll be right back. This from the Washington Examiner. Ready? Pete Buttigieg's brother-in-law, brother-in-law, is accusing the gay Democratic presidential hopeful of hijacking his family's history for political advantage by crafting a bogus backstory of poverty, homelessness, and homophobia. Tell me, why do people have to run by claiming victimhood? Isn't it amazing? Ryan Glesman, 34, a pastor in small-town Michigan, said he was inundated by death threats and hate mail when stories surfaced this month claiming he was a bigot who had fallen out with his younger brother, Chasen when Chasen came out of the closet. The reports were based on a Washington Compost article which described how Chasen, 29, was forced out of the family home and never reconciled with his two brothers. But rather than rejecting his brother Chasen, a would-be first gentleman, Glesman, who has run the Cleo Community Church for the past two years, said his family has been loving and supportive throughout. He said a Mayor from a small city and his husband, a child who grew up with nothing, and his parents kicked him out, makes a perfect political story for the campaign in an interview with the Washington Examiner. To me, that's very sad. If that's all you have to stand on, you're not fit to be president of the United States. In other words, he's saying it never happened. The great church building stands on the outskirts of Cleo, a town of about 2,600 people, along a road of sporting goods stores and nondescript restaurant chains. Inside, worshipers are greeted by a verse from Romans. Evangelical services are held in a traditional prayer space or for more enthusiastic participants in the gym. Buttigieg, 37. The mayor of South Bend, Indiana, since 2012, emerged from relative obscurity to establish himself as a presidential contender with a compelling story. Although initially light on policies, he's with subject of a string of glowing profiles. Several focused on Chasten, who met the presidential hopeful on the dating app Hinge in 2015. Chasten Buttigieg has been a homeless community college student and a Starbucks barrister. The Washington Post stated, now he could be first gentleman. But it's reference to Glesman's opposition to gay marriage, based, he says, on a biblical interpretation of what the institution means, misrepresented complicated family relationships, he said, what particularly stung, he added, was a line suggesting he or his brother Dustin had effectively disowned Chasten by saying, no brother of mine, visibly pained. 
Glesman said, do I love him? Absolutely. He's my brother. You can't change that. Just because we have a disagreement doesn't change that. So you see, ladies and gentlemen, he's accusing Mayor Pete, Pete Buttigieg, of being a liar, a liar about his past, a liar about discrimination from the family, treatment from the family. But it doesn't matter. There's a narrative that's been built around Buttigieg by the media, and they're not going to back off. We've been some, some people who should know better saying Buttigieg is the future of the Democrat Party. How so? I don't know what the hell the guy's done as mayor. Does anybody know? Raise your hand. Oh, you don't know. What has he done with a, 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 a relatively small city? Josh, Luthersburg, Pennsylvania, XM Satellite. How are you, sir? Good. How are you? Very well. Thank you. It's an honor to be talking to you, Mr. Levin. Well, my pleasure's mine. <laughs> All right, so I'll, I'll, I'll try and keep it quick here. Um, so just a little bit about me. I'm a, uh, I went to four years of undergrad school for a psychology degree and bachelor, uh, bachelor of psychology degree. Uh, I got that degree, and now I'm in uh, – I just got my master's degree in clinical mental health counseling so that I can work with veterans with PTSD. Um, so as you know, I'm sure you know that the uh, mental health field is not exactly a conservative field. Um, so I've gone into it with professors before, and uh, so a lot of the times they just kind of disregard anything you have to say. But uh, I had one professor that was actually kind of open and extremely liberal. But um, so when you were talking about Elizabeth Warren and her talking about, like, you know, uh, the African-American community deserves the right to, you know, abort their children and, and everything, um, I, I, I brought up the argument one time with this certain professor that abortion crazily affects the african-american community um you know 60 percent of abortions in america are, are unfortunately from- i have to go to bottom of the arrow that's the music this was not the topic he was going to discuss was it mr close screen but what can i do we do the best we can do i'll be right back Mark Levin, the great one. The great one, Mark Levin. Dial in now, 877-381-3811. Well, as the week comes to an end, this being Thursday, tomorrow, Friday, by my calculation, more lists, book lists come out. Publishers Weekly is a big one. In the top 10 books of the entire week, we are number one. Fiction, nonfiction. Top hardcover, front list nonfiction book. We are number one. I say we because of you. You're the ones who've done this. And uh, we're stirring a movement. I hope this is re- reflective of that. We'll know in week two. We'll know what takes place in the, place in the, uh, in the coming days. Uh, because this week, the second week, uh, at midnight on Saturday, the book count ends. So today's Thursday, so they just keep counting and counting and counting. So I just wanted you to know what you're able to do, your influence. So Publishers Weekly, Unfreedom of the Press is number one, 10 top overall, we're number one, and on top hardcover frontless nonfiction, number one. New York Times, we're number one hardcover nonfiction and number one hardcover plus 
ebook nonfiction. Uh, so we call this a grand slam, Mr. Producer. And we're up against all odds, just like the president when he faces these people. Trust me about this. Let's see. Ryan, Pomona, California, 870 The Answer, a liberal. How are you, sir? Hey, Mark. I just wanted to say I listen to your show. Um, I don't agree with a lot of what you say because I... Well, you're a liberal. Why would you? I love California. I love our government. I love the fact that we got rid of those Republicans that were representing our state. So you come on the show and you sound dumb already. <laughs> why, why do you love getting rid of the Republicans in your state? Oh, because of all they stand for. I mean, uh, first of all, uh, have you read Mark? Let's see. Do they stay? Let's see. Liberty. I'll talk about conservatives. Liberty, the Constitution, your civil rights, limited government, uh, fiscal sanity, things like that. You have a problem with that? Are you taking away a woman's right to choose? Nobody's taking Gun away a woman's right. Pay attention. I'm educating you. Nobody's taking away a women's right to choose. It's a little more complicated than that, Ryan. There's another human being involved. There's also people who look at science, and they look at sonograms, and the science is getting more and more clear. There's also people of faith. So to just say, hey, you know what? I believe in a woman's right to choose. That really isn't the only thing that needs to be taken into consideration, is it? It I'm sure there's a lot of consideration. No, 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 it is. It really is. It's the only thing. Because here in California, we're so so far ahead of the rest of the country. What is the debt in California today? Do you know? I. The only thing I know about California is that we have the fifth largest economy in the world. No thanks to the uh, Democrats. Yeah, all of them are... Doing you, you've had the fifth largest economy in the world long before the dinner. In fact, I think you actually had the fourth largest economy in the world at one point. So you like business. But, you know what? The business of California is business. No, no, no. You like business because you're talking about the fourth biggest economy in the world, right? Does government create the fourth? Listen, does government create the fourth biggest economy in the world or does business? I assume business. Well, if it's government, then North Korea would be the richest country on the face of the earth, right? Yeah, of course. What else do you hate about people like me? Um, probably gun policies are the worst. Um, well, gun policy, a, it's called the Second Amendment, sir. It's not a policy. It's an amendment. It's in the Bill of Rights. Do you know why it's there, by the way? In the Second Amendment, it does say that militias. Aren't well, you, so, do you understand what it means by militias? Do you know why they put that in there? Yeah, they wanted states to be armed to take on the federal government. You aware of that? I assumed it was over England. And, no, it uh, wasn't over England. The states wanted to be armed. They wanted a militia to protect them. Should the federal government become too onerous? And you're citing that part of the Second Amendment. Yeah, but isn't that isn't that the very argument right there though? Because militias aren't single people. Militias are actually organized. Okay, but did you notice? You notice there's a comma, right? Do you know what a comma is? Yeah. Okay, just want to make sure. So it's your proposition against all history and against plain reading that the framers didn't mean that individuals should be armed. The framers simply meant that the state government should be armed. Is that your proposition? I'm saying that I, the way I read it, I believe the militia... It's not even a matter of the way you read it. We have a history. There's, an Ameri there's American history. You see... 
one of the reasons we have a Second Amendment is because the states at the ratification convention said, eh, we're not buying this Constitution. There's certain rights that you left out of it. And so they said, I'll tell, we'll tell you what, we don't want to have another constitutional convention. Here's what we'll do. Please ratify it. And then when the first Congress meets, we'll put in some changes. And among those raised by the states was the right of individuals to be armed and the right of states to be armed. They're not the same thing. Right. A state militia is different than the right to bear arms. Right. I think they knew how to write. What's the next thing you hate about people like me? Not hate. You didn't say hate. Dislike. Dislike. Um, well, the fact that. Uh, let me see. Where, I mean, where to begin? I mean. Ryan, Ryan, yeah. Ryan. I'm going to do. Can, can, can we. Here's what I want to do. Will you play along with me in a serious way? Cool. I want to send you a copy of liberty and tyranny. I want you to promise me you'll read it as painful as that may be for you. And then I want you to call me back. Will you do that? Yes. All right. To hang in there. Hang it. It won't be that tough. Don't hang up. Don't hang. We're going to get your address. All right. One person at a time. That's all. That's all it takes. Robert, Brooklyn, New York, the great WABC. Go. Hi. Thank you for taking up my call. Yes. Um, What I wanted to point out was in the Mueller statement that he gave yesterday, he seemed to say that he was not confident that, you know, there was proof that the president is innocent, which is obviously turning everything upside down. And yet he himself, in his own statement, talks about, you know, that a person, you know, a defendant is presumed innocent until proven guilty. Exactly. And Let, Let me put it to you this way. If somebody is charged with a crime, they're presumed innocent. Charged with a crime. The president not only wasn't charged with a crime, but Mr. Mueller, in his report, didn't say he should be charged with a crime and didn't present any probable cause evidence to do it. And yet, his implication is that the president's not innocent. Therefore, he must be guilty in some respect. And so, Mr. Mueller gives more credence to a mass murder or a terrorist than he does to the President of the United States. Reminds me of what happened with Kavanaugh. They, when they talked about giving due process to the nominee, Kavanaugh, at that point, they said, well, we don't have to give him due process. It's like a job interview they try to Exactly. Say. And uh, they seem to be trying to pull the same thing over here. They don't respect the fact that more than 30 states, 30 and a half states, voted for the President Trump. And um, So what do they want to do? They want to get rid of the Electoral College. Very, very well, fascistic of them. How reliable is the voting system in California? Doesn't matter. They want California to determine who the president is every time. When you're in New York, you be able to overturn 48 states. It's crazy. And you and know what? The, hold on now. The governor of Nevada, thank you for your call, Robert. Good point. The governor of Nevada is a Democrat. I remember when the governors of Nevada used to be Republicans. And the state legislature is now overwhelmingly Democrat. That's how fast Nevada changed. And so the morons in the state legislature voted for this national voter initiative, which would tie the outcome of the vote in Nevada for electoral college to the national vote. And the governor said, wait a minute, we're a tiny state. We have a very small population. If we do that, nobody's going to campaign here. They're all going to be campaigning in New York and California and this one and Nobody's going to come to Nevada. And here we have a handful of electoral college votes, and they come here and they campaign 
Finally, somebody with some sense. If you're from a small state or a state with a small population, for sure, you shouldn't be thrown in with this. Nah. And you know what's annoying? Criminals are annoying. You need to protect yourself. The FBI says there's over a million of them, that is, break-ins in your homes every year. And what do they do, these criminals? Well, they're not that stupid. They're outrageous, but they're not that stupid. So they're like, well, who has the alarm system? Who doesn't have the alarm system? It's important to protect your home and family, folks. That's why I always recommend getting the very best security system. And that, in my opinion, is simply safe home security. It's fantastic protection for a home that keeps working. If the power goes out, if the Wi-Fi goes down, even if a burglar smashes your keypad, they have some of the fastest response times in the industry, ready to send help 24-7 if there's an emergency. So maybe it's no big surprise that Simply Safe is the top choice security system for CNET, PC Mag, and more than 3 million Americans too. Go to simplysafemark.com to learn more about Simply Safe. Order today, get free shipping on your system as well as a 60 day money back guarantee. That's how sure they are that you're going to love their system. That's simplysafemark.com. Simplysafemark.com. Mark Lovin. Father's Day, give Dad a gift packed with the Omaha Steaks he craves. You're not going to believe this. Go to omahasteaks.com, enter code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, in the search bar. You're going to get 74% off the Father's Day Steak Fix gift package. That's a $235 value. Now for only $59.99. I want you to listen to what you get if you order right now. Two tender filet mignons, two bold top sirloins, two savory pork chops, four Omaha Steaks burgers, four massive gourmet jumbo franks. I'm not done. Four crispy chicken fried steaks, all beef meatballs, a premium chicken, uh, excuse me, four premium chicken breasts, four caramel apple tartlets for dessert a packet of Omaha Steak Signature Seasoning, and you'll get four extra Omaha Steak Burgers free. You need to jump in. This isn't going to go on forever, this I can tell you. And giving this amazing package as a gift for Dad or stock up yourself for incredible summer grilling, all at 74% off. Again, order now, and you can get this exclusive Omaha Steaks Father's Day Steak Fix Package. It's valued at $235 for just $59.99. Just go to omahasteaks.com, type in code LEVIN, that's crucial, into the search bar. You hear my mouth salivating, Mr. Producer? That's omahasteaks.com, code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, into the search bar. Don't wait, because you know what? This offer ends soon. And I'm not kidding. Let us go to Mark, Rockland, New York, the great WABC. Go. Hi, Doctor. How are you? Okay. 
Okay, two things I would would mind uh, pointing out. One, in regards to the caller that you were arguing with before, that is a liberal and you sent them a book. You asked them a question about guns and the Constitution. And I would like to make one point. Nobody is denying that in the Constitution you have a right to bear arms. Well, the debate is not about bearing arms or not. The debate well, actually it is because people now are even talking about removing arms. Maybe you're not paying attention. The reason for that might be had other people agreed to things like background checks throughout the country. We already have background checks. Have you ever bought a weapon? I don't own weapons. Have you ever bought a weapon, sir? No. Well, guess what? There's an FBI background check. Are you aware of that? And can I go to a show? Why don't you pay attention? I'm educating you. They have an entire database. I have five weapons. I've been in there five times. And they deny people, too. Are you aware of that? Correct, but I'm asking you a question as well. Can I go to a gun show and buy one without a background check? It depends. If you buy an antique weapon, you can. Uh, I bought weapons at gun shows, and I had to do background checks. Tell me, how many people... Pay attention! Stop with the crap and the propaganda. How many people are murdered with guns purchased at gun shows where they don't have background checks? Almost zero. Zero. Almost zero. Point me to the statistic. I would gladly look it I'll up. I'll bring John Lott on the program in the future, but not for you, pal. Get off your lazy ass. Go on the computer and dig it up yourself. But I'm happy to do that next time John Lott's on the program. You really ought to educate yourself. That's what we conservatives do before we start popping off and you're repeating your Elizabeth Warren talking points. Now get off the phone, you idiot. I mean, really, ladies and gentlemen. He says, oh, you know what, you know what? And I don't know where he's from. And that's okay. He can be from wherever he is. I heard the broken English. That's okay. That's okay. But there's a lot of people in this country who've escaped tyranny and who appreciate the Bill of Rights. We don't select them one after it. Well, you know what? I, I, the only one I like is the, you know, the, the freedom of the press. The rest of it... You know, it doesn't say individual. It says militia, you know, due process. It doesn't say for the president. You know, you know, the 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 right to uh, to uh, you know, you're getting innocent until proven guilty. Yeah, that's. A, I'm so sick of this. You have no idea. Why don't liberals ever call up and promote liberty rather than government? I thought they were anti-authority. They are the authority. You know what? We're gonna resist. What are you resisting? Liberty. What else are you resisting? The rule of law? What else? The Constitution? What else? Property rights? They're not resisting crap. They're the problem. All right. Virginia, Branson, Missouri, XM Satellite. Go. Hi. I had a question about the Mueller statement yesterday. I wasn't aware that the prosecuting office was able to make, uh, well, suggest that Congress needed to pick this up now when there hasn't even been a crime stated. How does that work? It doesn't. He wasn't supposed to get into any of that. And what he did is yet again reveal himself as a hack. And if you heard what I said earlier today, or in Hannity, or yesterday, I said this whole thing was intended to create the narrative Uh, The Democrats really don't want him questioned now on the House Judiciary Committee. They have their narrative. The media is running with it. That was the whole point of his uh, eight and a half minutes. 
And then he uh, leaves for, uh, you know, the villages or Boca Raton, Florida or something. All right, my friend. Thank you. I've silenced her with my genius. Let us go to uh, Clark in Salinas, or is it Salinas, actually? California, the great KSFO. How are you? I'm doing great, Mark. It's a, a big honor to speak with you. And you too, my friend. Thank you. I just wanted uh, to I, I wanted to note that we don't, even though it's a little history, uh, we don't have to go much further than the Hillary Clinton debacle on email to determine how the DNC got hacked. I kind of want to make that point. May I make one more? In other words, you're saying they didn't secure their, their servers. Anyway, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the other thing is that my son and I are trying to make our way down to your book signing at the Reagan Library, but you're sold out. Oh, man. <laughs> you, can't was, even, you can't even get in line to get a book signed? Well, I'm not sure because I looked for the overflow room. I did try and register. and well, I, was, I don't know uh, if they have any. I don't think they have any room left. But if you want to come down for the book signing, I would call them. I think you still can. But they have to hand out tickets. There's so many people, quite frankly. Hey, Mark, thanks. I'll tell you what. I'll do better than that. Let's send Clark a signed book. I mean, he's trying to get in, after all, for him and his son. Don't hang up, Clark. That music means I have to tap dance out of here. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. May I please persuade you? Go on Amazon right now. Order your copy of Unfreedom of the Press. It is 40% off. Or get it at your favorite retail store. God bless you all and thank you. And I'll see you tomorrow.